Acts 9.31 says, So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it grew in numbers. This morning I want to talk about the church. You know, I, I sincerely and utterly believe in the church. I started my Christian life out not believing in the church. I had no understanding. I got saved outside the church. Um, the churches I've got to admit where I was going, where I lived, weren't particularly um, alive. <laughs> Someone said, I don't know how to describe them. Men and women were of good heart, but as a 14-year-old, it didn't really grab me. But and so and and also I was taught by the group that I got saved in, the church was irrelevant. Anyone over 35 was irrelevant. And now that I'm just a little bit over 35, I know that that's a lie. So, <laughs> but, you know, it was just that whole thing. And, and then to discover the power of the church, which was completely by divine revelation, the Lord just impacted me, bang, powerfully. And suddenly I just, I was a lover of the church. And immediately, almost, I had a call in my life that I'd become a pastor and and all sorts of things. So for me, I believe in the church. I've seen the church. I know the power of the church. I'm a man of the church. And I love the church and what the church is. But the question is, of course, what is the church? And I define the church as the community of Jesus. The church is God's alternative society built around Jesus Christ. You know, to, to, to exist as a human being means that we exist in community. Humans are societal creatures. We only exist as human beings in a social structure. You can't exist otherwise. To be human is to live in a social grouping. And within the structure of community society, that's how humans flourish and thrive. And, of course, the world is made up of all sorts of societies. We have, have national societies, European or different particular countries. We have Asian societies. We have uh, all sorts of New Zealand society. And within all these societies, there's a special kind of society, if you like, the society of Jesus, pockets or communities of Jesus followers. They're pockets within the society that embrace the way of Jesus. You see, Jesus has given us a certain way of ordering the world, of going about the business of being a human being. And the Jesus way of doing things is radically different, is profoundly different than the way that most societies are arranged. And the church consists of baptized people learning to live the Jesus way together. You see, you can only learn the Jesus way together. You can't do it by reading a book, not even the Bible. You cannot, you can definitely not learn to be a Jesus follower going solo. It is not a self education process. You can't learn the Jesus way by joining an online group, however great it is and whoever in it. The only way you can learn to do, be a true Jesus follower is by doing it with other members of the Jesus society, of the Jesus community. <coughs> Excuse me, face to face, in real time, connected. And, and as these Jesus societies or Jesus communities are faithful to the Jesus way, they are light and salt to the world. That's what Jesus calls us to be. When we begin to form, or in fact, even when the, the original societies began to form around Jesus in the early days of, of his ministry in Galilee, he spoke to them and he said, listen, you are going to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth. And that is what, it is, that is what we are if we're faithful to Jesus. 
to, and to learn to embody the community of Jesus' way, we become beacons. We become a shining light to the rest of larger society. People begin to see how Jesus says we should order our lives together. And there's also a sense in which we're the salt of the earth. You know, we, we preserve in many ways the wider society by merely existing within them. That's been the community of Jesus. These communities of Jesus are called to be faithful. But listen, if we are unfaithful to Christ, if these communities become unfaithful to Christ, we become nothing more than religious versions of the wider culture. And so there's always a pressure on us to be distinctive, to be radically other as a community of Jesus, not to be conformed to the wider society. And so that's why our first task of the church must always be to stay faithful, to remain faithful to Jesus. It is not to be successful, nor in many ways is it to be effective. Now, now listen, I understand we are called to bear fruit. I understand that. But if we make the focus, if we say the key thing for us is to be successful or effective, we begin to play into the agenda in many ways, is simply compromising. Because we then start to make deals, if you like. We begin to accept people into our society without having them change through the blood of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And we begin to adopt the wider cultural values. And as I say, what we end up doing is we just end up being a religious version of the culture around us. Something that you do on a Sunday morning and come and be part of. So let me emphasize it again. Our first task is not to be successful or effective. Our first task is to be faithful to Jesus. I mean, Jesus commends his people by saying that. He, by saying, you know, he doesn't come to them, or at the end he says, well done, thou good and effective servant. Well done, thou good and uh, 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 successful servant. No, he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. So for us here at Liberty Church, we want to do that. We want to learn what it is to be a faithful society of Jesus within the 21st New Zealand, century New Zealand society. And it, it says here at the beginning, and so that's, that's really our call. And we see an outlining, a basis of how the church worked in the early days, in the days after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension. It says in verse 31, it begins, the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. Samaria, The church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. So this is within the first, first 10 years of the birth of the church following the death and resurrection of, the, of Jesus and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. We're about 10 years out into the story, and the church is spreading. It was in Judea, which is around Jerusalem, and now it's moved into Galilee, which is up in the north where Jesus' ministry was mainly started in the early days of his ministry, and it's also moved into Samaria, which is in, basically in between. And the church is beginning to take root. And there are pockets of Jesus' society within Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. And so these congregations or these, these communities are in many areas. One of the things I want, to note, want you to notice is that that's, this is 10 years. You know, in our instant society, if it didn't happen by next Tuesday, <laughs> we have a problem with things. You know what I'm saying? And when we read the book of Acts, we kind of read one chapter to the next, and the next verse we go, well, <clears throat> that's happened. Yeah, but what it is is there's often 10 years or five years or two years between one verse and the next. 
And I think sometimes we just need to realize there was actually a fabulous book called The Patient Fervor and Growth of the, of the New Testament Church. And this um, guy talks about how the church grew over the first, well, actually 300 years and just how patient it was and, and how dedicated they were to building community and building connection with one another and, and just allowing it to grow. So here are these societies growing. But it's interesting because the scripture says that church. Notice that? Just one church. It doesn't say that churches in Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. It says, but that church. One church, many locations. One church with many pockets. One church with many different local societies of the Jesus way. And I think you'll all agree that today we're a long way from that. But I believe the way we need to think of the church is we need to think of it as singularly. The church of Jesus Christ. One church with many locations and many expressions, but one church. All those who are baptised into faith consistent with the confession of Jesus Christ. And we don't talk about that a lot, but really it is. It's those that confess faith as defined by the apostles and the Nicene Creed who are baptised into the Christian faith. They all, all of us, we all belong to the same church. And I think it's so sad that we have spent so long defining our differences rather than defining the things that hold us together. You know, on my journey over the last, well, not only just the last few years, but over recently reading the church fathers and the first three centuries and, and their love and understanding of Christ, it's like, wow, I mean, it's like I've been eating microwave dinners all my life and uh, suddenly I've discovered Michelin star food of reading these guys. I mean, they're just incredible. But it's also led me to a, a stronger realisation that Catholics and Orthodoxes and Anglicans and Protestants and Evangelicals and Pentecostals are all of the one body of Christ. They're all brothers and sisters, whether they like it or not, because sometimes they're not that keen on it. And my desire is that we have a revital... That, that everyone, doesn't matter what they do, that everyone has a vital relationship with Jesus. I mean, I have got one thing, and that's interested in helping people to, to be baptised and find a vital relationship with Jesus. That, that's, that's my value. I simply want people to be Christians, to have a vital life with Christ. And so, you know what? I am not troubled by the diverse nature of the body of Christ. It doesn't trouble me. It really doesn't. Because you see, diverse does not mean divisive. I'm I'm troubled with the divisive nature of the body of Christ, but not with the diverse nature. And I really do hope that we're moving in the direction, I'm talking about the church now worldwide, from the divisive um, attitude to the diverse. We we can be diverse. We, We need to celebrate it. Listen, life is made up of diverse diversity. It's what adds beauty and richness. The foods we like, the books we read, the jobs we have, the hobbies we keep, the families we're part of, every one of those is diverse. Diversity in the body of Christ should be normal because it's normal in human society. It adds colour and beauty. And so we need to have that position in our heart that you know, we haven't just got it, that we're anything special. We need to love and support the whole body of Christ. But what I want to really do this morning is look at three characteristics of the early Jesus societies. Now, we're talking about here, as I said, the earliest ones, the first 10 years. 
And I'm going to talk about three characteristics they had. That is the peace of Christ, the fear of the Lord, and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Now, you may notice here the peace of Christ, the fear of the Lord, and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. They are what are called triantarian. In other words, they, they each, there's every member of the Godhead there. Christ, Holy Spirit, and God the Father. Each one of them were involved in the growth of the church, of the, the early church. So the first one, the peace of Christ. You know, we have been given the peace of Christ. Remember, as I've said before, it was actually the first words of the new world. When Christ rose, when Jesus was raised from the dead, he had peace on his lips. That is what he gives us. He comes and gives us peace. The first words he spoke was, peace be with you. They are the first words of the new world. It became the greeting of the church, the early church. They would greet one another. They would say, the peace of Christ, and the response would be, and the peace of Christ be with you. It goes back to the very beginnings, because it's exactly how Jesus spoke with his disciples. When he appeared to them in the upper room on the first Sunday, his words were, peace be with you. And in a world that's full of violence and anger and people trying to get on the top of the pile regardless of who gets hurt on the way up, in that kind of world, the church has become the custodian and the guardians of the peace of Christ. And it's a unique peace, unlike any other peace. You know, I believe in the uniqueness of Christ and I believe in what he gives and what he offers to each one of us because I know it's only he can give it and offer it to us. And he says very clearly, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Jesus says, listen, I'm not giving you the peace that you've seen in the world, I'm giving you my peace. This is not the world peace, it's a way, it's a totally distinctive other way. See, the word, really the, the way of peace in the world is I get peace by dominating and beating up everyone else. So I've got control over everybody, and then I feel safe. And I feel like, you know, I'm at peace because I've won. doesn't matter what the other person feels, that's his problem. But you see, and, and so the peace of the world is either winning or losing, but Jesus offers us something else. Jesus' peace is not dependent on circumstances or conditions or feelings or events. It's available to us at all times. And the way of peace, that peace which reassures the heart, the peace which transcends all understanding, that peace which stands guard over your hearts and your minds in Christ is yours. Let me read that again. And the peace of Christ, that peace which reassures the heart, the peace which transcends all understanding, the peace which stands guard over your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus is yours. Father, I pray that right now. Lord, I need it. I need it. I pray, Father, the peace of God will just, the peace of Christ will, will enter each one of our hearts. Father, any agitation, any disconnect, any fears, any anxieties, just flood them. Flood them with the peace of Christ right now, I pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You see, Jesus wants us to be carriers of that kind of peace, that that peace would exist in the world that we would carry it so the world would see the, 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 what heaven is about. But it, it, we've got to preserve it. 
we've got to carry it. So that's what Jesus has done for his community. He's given us peace. And then we're to model it. We're to live it. We're to share it. We're to show it. We're to preserve it. We're to be custodians and guardians and keepers of the Jesus kind of peace. This unique peace that, that, that stays alive through the societies of Jesus called the church. The primary task of us as Jesus society then is to model and offer the peace of Jesus in every situation. So in a world that, that only knows war and demanding and, and, and trying to get the best deal, the church is, uh, the task of the church is to bear witness to another way, the Jesus way. The church has the peace of Christ. We are recipients of that and we are to be bearers of that. Secondly, we're also to have the fear of the Lord. <clears throat> we had the fear of the Lord. Now, by fear of the Lord, I don't mean a morbid dread of a monster God. All right? We fear the Lord in the same sense, and I thought long and hard how I could define this, as how we feared our parents. Now, hopefully that was positive, and I understand there may be some here, when I say that, there was genuine fear, and for that, I don't mean that. Because for many people, the healthy fear wasn't one of being hurt or in danger, but it was really one of deep respect and deep abrumation. Admiration. We really didn't want to disappoint them, did we? For me, it was my mum. And you all know my story, Dad dying when I was two. I didn't want to disappoint her. You know? I mean, sometimes there was a little bit of dread too if I did the wrong thing, but that's a whole other story. You know? But I really, generally, I never had an anxious dread that she was going to do me harm. It wasn't fear, fear like that. And I think we really need to talk about the fear of God in a healthy way. Because in many ways it has become unhealthy because the church has spent so much time trying to pass judgment on people in the world. And instead of bringing them the positive message of the love of Christ and a loving Father, we've, we've started by telling everybody how filthy and dirty and unworthy they are. And we've missed a story about how wonderful and glorious and marvellous a saviour we have. And so, you know, we need to be in that way where we... we Stop looking for what for reasons to punish. It's a very simple, you know, way of thinking about the fear of the Lord is this. The fear of the Lord in the church can be understood as taking God seriously. Taking God seriously. Which doesn't happen, by the way. You know, you might think the church always takes God seriously, but unfortunately I think far from it. You see, people can be very excited about God, but at the same time trivialize God. And frankly, I see it all the time. And I'm saying we need to take God seriously and not trivialize him. Now, now one way I think, for example, that we trivialize God is when we try to sum up God in a tidy little box in five minutes. Hey, here, let me explain all about God to you. (laughs) To me, that person makes a fear of God. I mean, are you serious? You can explain God in five minutes, really? See, we, we sometimes in our Western Um, rational minds think that we can do everything and we're scared that we can't give the right answer that if we don't give the perfect answer to someone that they're going to leave God forever and it's all our fault and you know all that kind of stuff and we almost become the Bible answer man but you know what that trivializes God because it reduces God to a simple equation and that's how we don't approach him when we take God seriously we we leave plenty of room for mystery 
You know, listen, there is nothing wrong with having vast tracts of mystery in your theology. There's nothing wrong with saying, you know, here's what I confess about God that's been revealed in Christ. But hey, listen, there's a whole lot of mystery involved too. And I'll never speak as I presume I, I, I figured it out. You know, I was part, I helped start the Apologetics Society in New Zealand, which is a, a group of people who try to give intellectual answers for everything about God. And I soon reached a conclusion that we were actually doing a God a service because God was far bigger than our trite little answers. We don't, we've got to stop feeling compelled to be able to give every answer to every situation. You know, we need to be able to say, listen, you know, I love Jesus. But I also got to tell you that God is far beyond my limited, puny comprehension. And so I'll tell you what I know about him. And I'll try to speak judiciously and be careful with my words. But I, you know, I know what God has revealed to me in Christ. But I will not try to presume to speak everything about God. Everything about his intentions, his plans and purpose. We need to have plenty of room for I don't know. Because when we, when we trivialise God, when we lack the fear of God, we trivialise God by claiming too much, knowing too much. We also trivialise God when we treat him as a utility, an omnipresent tool for our use. And, you know, there are so many books, sermons, conferences that tell you, here are the 23 steps to perfection, and if you do these, God's going to do it. You know, and if there's, here's one, two, and three, and if you stand there and you put those before God, God's a judge and he's got to do it because you're in the courtroom of heaven. God is not a machine. He's not a machine. We can't reduce him to a utility. That is the failure of taking God seriously, to treat him as some utility, as a tool, as an end to a mean. You're not taking him seriously. The other thing is about being excited. Now, this one's a little bit different, being excited about God. You know? Sometimes we get really, really excited, and that's fantastic. But in our excitement, we lose who God is. Now listen, don't get me wrong. I think it's necessary we get excited about God. I'm excited about God probably more than anything. I love God. But sometimes in our modern society, it feeds very quickly into an, in our entertainment-based kind of approach to Christian worship. I mean, got news for you, people. We are an over-entertainment-based culture right now. Yeah? And one of the problems in our wider society is that the primary source of everything is entertainment, even our news. You know, our news isn't about giving you information and truth. Our news is about getting you to listen to it. So they make it really exciting. <laughs> Couldn't get one out either. Because why? They, it affects their ratings. They want to get you in. They want to draw you in. And so there's this incredible pressure to entertain you. And, and so what is the victim? The victim is truth. And in a culture where things are under pressure to be entertaining, that has crept. Well, in fact, it's not crept. It's broken the door down and stormed into the church. And it's come in. And, and you know, it's become so focused about entertainment. And we need to deal with that. You see, I, I really, I'm not so interested in the church being excited about God. I'm interested in the church being serious about God. And, and they're two very different things. And that could be an unpopular thing to say it, but hey, I've said it. <laughs> you 
Yeah, much of the worship industry, and I'm sorry to say it is, a wor- it is an industry, is about sales and success. Now, I'm not necessarily calling into the hearts of the people who are writing the songs. I mean, I think they're absolutely genuine. I really, really do. I think, you know, the, that, and I've met many other, or met a number of them over the years, and I know their thing is genuine, but it's the way it's become marketed, I think we need to be really, really careful about it. You know, we don't gauge our Christian walk and our Christian experience through an entertainment-based model. Excitement about God is good and important, but the foundation of what we do must be where we're serious about God. We don't use God, we worship God. We don't use God, we worship God. And I think sometimes we're careless with connecting with God. And last year, when we were in lockdown, I, I uh, preached a sermon on how to read the Psalms each day and uh, to make that a, a daily thing. And I don't know if any of you still carry on with that. I know some of you did to start with. That's awesome. But the other thing is, you know, I, I have found, and I mean, I, you know, sort of like when I came to my prayer and quiet time and stuff, I'd sit there and i just kind of, what am I going to pray? And I'd, I'd worship Jesus and I'd, I'd do all the things, the right things, pray for things. But I've learned in my studies over the last couple of years to actually be more structured and more focused. And, and to be, you know, as I said, 20 years ago, I would have poo-pooed this idea strongly. But I've discovered the power of repetitively praying the Lord's Prayer as I start my devotion. My daily devotion begins with this Trinitarian prayer. I'll share it with you. I start every morning. Good morning, Heavenly Father. Good morning, Lord Jesus. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Holy Father, I worship you as the creator and sustainer of the universe. Lord Jesus, I worship you as saviour and Lord Holy Spirit, I worship you as sanctifier of the people of God. Glory to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, I pray that I may live this day in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, I pray this day that I will take up my cross and I will follow you. Holy Spirit, I pray that this day you will fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life, the love the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the gentleness and self-control. Holy, blessed and glorious Trinity, three persons in one Godhead, have mercy on me. I love you. Amen. And I pray that. I pray it slowly. I pray it thoughtfully. And this focuses me. And it stops me from being casual about God. doesn't mean I don't pray other stuff, but off the back of that, off the back of that, I find my focus is far more God-centered than me-centered. You see, the primary purpose of prayer, and I've said this to you before, is not for you to get God to do what you think God ought to do. The primary purpose of prayer is for you to be properly formed, to be properly formed by God. So these early churches, these early societies or communities of Jesus, they lived within the Roman society with Pax Romana there. But here was the, the Christian communities offering something far greater, Pax Christi, the peace of Christ. And within these societies, they became salt and light because they had the peace of Christ. That's what characterized them. They had the fear of the Lord. 
that they took God seriously. And thirdly, they had the comfort of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? What, what does that comfort of the Holy Spirit look like? I think the easiest way to think about it is as it's a spirit or the attitude or atmosphere that was, is between the Father and the Son that we hear Jesus talk about. In other words, you know, the, the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son we conf- that is confessed in the creeds. And there's, there's just that sense of community and closeness. You know, because when any, any gathering of people, two people or more, come together, it produces a, a spirit or an attitude or an atmosphere, doesn't it? I mean, human beings are, are, are generally we're adept at detecting that. We may not consciously process it, but we're generally sensitive to it. You know what I mean? It's good. When five or six people there, you come in, you kind of get the feeling of what's going on, the vibe, what the mood's like. You, you kind of sense, you know, what, there's something going on here. And as I said, we do it normally. And whether you have three group, three in a group, or it could be a stadium of people where everything's rocking, you still you pick up the vibe, you pick up what's happening. Some years ago, when I was at high school and I used to work in a holiday job, I used to work in, um, down in Henderson for the power board making concrete poles. Um, for them, and uh, at Christmas, the company put on a meal, and I mean, it was, it was a meal, all the, all the people came in for the, from the power board for that area, and uh, put down a hungi, and you went up with your plate, and you got a chicken, not a part of a chicken, you got a chicken, <laughs> and some vegetables, and a few other things, and lots and lots of alcohol, and uh, it was a great time together, and we're all inside these massive big sheds, and it was wonderful, but late in the afternoon, a fight broke out. And I won't go into the details. It was nasty. There were several people stabbed. And I tell you, it was one of the first times as a young man I felt the change. One minute the atmosphere was jovial and light and laughing and suddenly, boom, it just went as dark. And, and it was almost, for me, palatable. Just the darkness and the heaviness that came across this room. And as the cops arrived and all sorts of things went on, it was just the atmosphere became, it was so stunning. I'd never experienced such a, a, an incredible change. Literally in seconds. Because we as human beings define the atmosphere we're part of. So any gathering, whether it's two people or 2,000 people, we cause, we create a spirit or an attitude. It can be joy, it can be anger, it can be lighthearted, it can be tense, it can be energetic. But human beings are spirits, and as spiritual, we generate a spirit or a mood or an atmosphere. Well, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, And the Holy Spirit's presence creates an atmosphere. And that atmosphere is the same atmosphere that is generated between the Father and the Son when they're in communion together. And the amazing thing is that we're invited to participate in that, to receive it, to be immersed in it, to have the same Spirit. You see, the Spirit of the Godhead is characterized by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, And you know what? That's the kind of spirit that people find comfortable and safe. That's what the world is seeking. They're seeking a place where they can actually be at peace, where they can actually feel kindness. Because, you know, I mean, the world's jacked up most of the time, you know? And and for one of an expression, it's in a sense, dog eat dog. And to be able to come into an environment where there's peace, and there's joy, and there's actual kindness and gentleness, and there's no um, reason for it except 
the presence of the Holy Spirit, that, that, that is appealing to people. The spirit that proceeds from the Father and the Son is one of self-giving eternal love, joy unspeakable, full of glory, and the peace that passes understanding and kindness. And that's what people are craving. That's what people are craving. You might say, hang on, well, what about the conviction of the Holy Spirit? You know, we've got to let people know the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Listen, the conviction of the Holy Spirit is not being yelled at and scolded. The conviction of the Holy Spirit that when you're in the midst of something like that, you want to change. You're suddenly aware that there are things not right in your life and you're standing there and you suddenly encounter this peace that you've never encountered before that surpasses anything. You encounter the kindness of Jesus. You can't. You think, I want that. What do I have to do to do that? And people speak into it. See, when you're around love and peace and joy and hope and love, you say, man, I want to be like that. And I want to make the changes that are necessary that I can be like that. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Every church has a spirit. Some churches are demanding. Some churches are angry. Some are elitist. But these things don't unite people. But the spirit of Christ manifested through the peace of Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, that unites people. Because those other kinds of things just leave people uncomfortable and it's not the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus says, I will give you another paraclete. Some people translate that comforter. Some people translate it helper. Sometimes it's translated advocate. It's all the same word. He's talking of the Spirit. The Spirit comes from the Father and the Son, and He's the third person of the Trinity, and we are to receive Him. We are to be baptized in Him. We are to be immersed in Him. We are to be filled with Him. And that is a Spirit, is a Spirit of help. help. Don't know where I'm going on that one. We'll go there for the moment. It's the Spirit of, hel- the spirit of help and comfort and ad- advocacy. And when people encounter him, it's, oh, yes. Sometimes we don't have confidence that the Holy Spirit can do his own work. And we feel we've got to get people into heaven. And we'll get them in there. We'll get our children, our parents, our brother. We'll get them in there, our friend in there, screaming and yelling. But we'll get them in there. (laughs) And, you know, I think we need to learn to relax and have confidence in the Holy Spirit and actually be people of the Godhead and allow the Holy Spirit to do the work. The church is built up by the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And so we read, as a result of these thing, three things, the peace of Christ, the fear of the Lord, and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it says the church grew in numbers. You see, as, as we, we live in that place of peace, we truly embody the peace of Christ. And we and, and that doesn't come from anywhere else but Christ that he gives to the church, as we truly embrace the peace of Christ, as we live in that place of the fear of the Lord and a sense of taking God seriously, not marketing God. I tell you what, people are weary of that. You know, they really are weary of that. I mean, back in the 50s and 60s and all the way through the 80s, I mean, churches really did a good job at marketing God, you know, in a sense that they wanted to attract him. But I'm pretty convinced that doesn't work anymore. I think after the last two or three years of COVID and conspiracies and so much extremism that's been seen in the church, people are pretty weary and they need to see some authenticity. 
They need to see. We've got to stop marking God because we're trivializing him. We're treating God like a commodity. And people sense that and they don't want it. If we have the peace of Christ, if we can be people that take God seriously, if we can learn to live in the spirit that comes from the Father and the Son, which is one of true love, joy, peace, and kindness, then I think people are going to be very comfortable, and I believe the church will grow. But the church that has the peace of Christ, that takes God seriously, and is comfortable, has a comfortable atmosphere of the Holy Spirit, that church will grow. And that's one of, I guess that's a vision I want to throw out to us. For us to learn how to be people like that, how to be a community like that, to see God work through us. Amen? So this morning I want to come at the end of this to the communion table of the Lord because this is one place we find the peace of Christ. We certainly do. The mystery of God. So what I'm going to do is ask those who serve communion if they could do that now and I want us to hold on to it together and then we're going to take it together. So if we can do that. Thank you. Yeah. And there's gluten-free bread as well being handed around if you need that this morning. So let's just take our time. You know, in this very thing this morning that we're taking, we encounter the mystery of God. I mean, I mean here, here's the bread and here's the wine. And yet, you know, it's a mysterious connection. See, it's far more than, 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 than grape and, and, and grain or, or bread and wine. It, it's, a, it's a mystery. There's a sacred, mysterious connection with the body and blood of Christ as we do this this morning. We can't explain it. We can't explain it, but we confess it. And so what we're doing this morning, this is where the peace of Christ is given. This is the body of Christ broken for you. Peace. This is the blood of Christ shed for you. Peace. The broken body and the shed blood says, Father, forgive. So the peace of God can be communicated to us. Here is the mystery of God. Here is the Holy Spirit as we take these together this morning. So Father, 
we prepare our hearts now to come as a church, as a small community of Jesus, to the table that sustains us. Lord, we are the flesh and the blood of Christ in this, in this world. And today we eat this bread and this, this drink, symbolic of that. And Lord, as the Apostle Paul taught us, our participation in the body and the blood of Christ, we, we come with fear and humility. We come humbly. We come asking that you would have mercy on us. Lord, we, we, we don't come with an elitist sense of entitlement. We come humbly, thanking you for our infinite grace and mercy. We ask that you would forgive us and at this table that as we eat this this morning and as we drink this morning that we will discover afresh the, the peace of Christ. We would enter into the mystery and we would be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit. So people, this is the table. It's not the, not the table of the church, but of the Lord. Made ready for those who love Him, for those who want to love Him more. So all, I invite all to come this morning, those who have faith and those who have little, those who who have done this often and those who have not done it for a long time, those who have tried and those who have failed, come, for the Lord invites us all. It is His will that that we should each meet Him this morning afresh through the bread and the wine. So together now, I commend you to take this together in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you. Lord, teach us, teach us what it is to take you seriously. Jesus, we thank you for the peace. The Lord, that that, that when things, even when things don't go wrong, but that we would learn to draw and sup and, and live in the peace that surpasses all understanding. That we would be men and women of peace. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your indwelling presence. And I pray that, that we would learn to be guided more daily by your distinctness, by love, by peace, by kindness, by mercy, by gentleness, by self-control. God in one, we are so grateful for your presence. We're so grateful for your life. And Father, I just pray that on each one here now. I just pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The fullness and the completeness of Jesus Christ would be manifested daily in each one here now. In the name of Jesus. Amen.